bear with me. I'm a little bit nervous. And um, and I'm not an expert on the subject. I've celebrated, this will be my third year celebrating Passover. So i just like to share with everybody kind of what Passover is, how it's traditionally um, celebrated, and why I chose to, to observe this holiday. So um, today Sharman brought in some... Uh, some palm branches here and we know you know in uh, church tradition is that uh, as Jesus entered Jerusalem before his crucifixion they were waving the palm branches and crying out Hosanna save us well Jesus was entering Jerusalem on a pilgrimage to celebrate uh, Passover so here we go so this is this is kind of my outline on what I'd like to, to discuss today what what is Passover, how it's observed, and why I cho chose to observe it. And all these things are kind of uh, jumbled up within this presentation today. I'm not necessarily following this order. And I hope that, um, I hope that this inspires everybody to, to think about some things, to ask some questions, to uh, go back and read the Exodus story and um, read your Old Testament and, and learn, some, learn some things. And I'd like to say don't take my word for any of this stuff. You know, go back and go back and study it. So, all right. So what is Passover? Um, this I got this from dictionary.com. Um, also called Pesach or Pesah. It's a festival that commemorates the exodus of the Hebrews from Egypt and is marked chiefly by the Seder ritual and the eating of matzah or unleavened bread. It begins on the 14th day of Nisan. This year I'll be celebrating it on April 15th. And it's followed by the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is often considered part of Passover. So Passover is the holiday that starts the Feast of Unleavened Bread, eight days altogether. So, but Passover, Passover is also the story of hope. It's the story of freedom. It's the story of redemption. It's the story of God's mercy on his people. And it's specifically the story in the Bible, the death of the firstborn and the Hebrews leaving slavery and beginning their journey to the promised land. So here's the synopsis of the story. If, I mean, it may be a while since you guys have heard the story. Um, Jacob was, and his 11, of his, um, 11 of his sons were united with, reunited with Joseph in Egypt, um, where they were welcome guests. And after a few centuries and a change in leadership, their descendants became slaves of Pharaoh. So 400 years later, these Hebrew slaves, Jacob's descendants, um, were crying out to God to come and free them. And Pharaoh refused to, to let the Hebrew people out of bondage. He was afraid that the, the sheer number of the Hebrews, that they, would be, uh, that they would challenge his sovereignty. So he kept them as slaves. So the Hebrew people cry out to God, and God answers their prayers, and he sends Moses to free the people, to free the slaves from Egypt. And Pharaoh refuses to, to, uh, to let the slaves go. So God instigates ten plagues on Egypt, and the final plague being the killing of the firstborn. So all the firstborn in Egypt are going to die, except for those who follow God's instructions. And if they follow God's instructions, they are passed over for judgment. And in the Hebrews flee Egypt in, ha in haste with a mixed multitude of people. Okay, that's the synopsis of the story. Everybody still with me? All right, excellent. Okay, so in Exodus 12, Exodus 12, God commands Moses 
and Aaron to instruct the Israelites to sacrifice a lamb without blemish, to eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, with their loins girded in haste with the staff in hand. So freedom is about to come upon the Israelite people. God asked them to make this sacrifice to him and to follow his instructions, and they'll be free. In Exodus 12, he says, And they shall take the blood of the lamb that they've sacrificed and strike it on the two sides of the doorpost and the upper post and the house where they eat it. So this is a visible sign. So they're to sacrifice the lamb. They paint the blood on their doorposts, and this is a, a visible sign. For, you know, everybody in Egypt will know who the Hebrews are because they've got this blood on their, on their doorpost. And God says, For I'll pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute my ju- judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood that you put on the doorpost shall be for you a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. So God's going to go through Egypt and kill all the firstborn, except for the firstborn in the house, in the houses where they follow God's instruction, and they've painted the blood. They've made this visible sign on their doorpost that they have done what God has asked them to do. Okay, so that's the story. Now, traditionally, um, Passover is celebrated with a feast. And this is a nice chart here where you can see all the different things that uh, are represented. You have the four, four cups of wine, uh, the matzah, uh, the open seat for Elijah. We'll get into all this stuff. Um, the different foods on, this, on the Seder plate. I like this. You've got your ten plagues of Egypt, death of the firstborn being the last one. Uh, four questions that are asked at the Seder. So, so first, the Seder the Seder means order, and it's it's a feast. So everybody sits down and they they have a feast, and there's different food symbols. There's wine, and the wine all symbolizes something, and there's some other symbols. So the food symbols, the things that are sitting on the Seder plate, are roasted shank bone, roasted egg, bitter herbs, caroset, parsley and salt water. And this is what each of those things symbolize. Uh, the roasted shank bone is to symbolize the extended arm of God, and the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And it resembles the Passover lamb. And it reminds us that Jesus is our Passover, according to 1 Peter and 1 Corinthians. So Jesus is our, is our, our sacrifice. Uh, the roasted egg represents new life, and it represents the fire offering and fellowship with the Father that's outlined in, in Leviticus 3. So in Leviticus, um, there are certain laws that are put out on, on sacrifices and fire offerings, and this egg is to, to represent that. It also represents Pharaoh's hardened heart. And the bitter herbs, typically, this is horseradish, and this symbolizes the bitter lot of enslavement. And it symbolizes the bondage and the burdens we experience while living in spiritual Egypt, while we're living in the world, before we ask Jesus, before we become part of the kingdom of God. And when this is eaten during the Seder, it's supposed to be strong enough to bring tears to your eyes, to, to remind you of how bitter your heart is without God's presence in your life. Um, the caraset is a mixture of apples, nuts, cinnamon, grapes, and honey. And it represents the clay or mortar 
that the Hebrews used to make bricks or build things for their Egyptian taskmasters. And this reminds us that even though we go through difficult times, we can fall back on the sweetness and the joy that God has put in our lives. And he is, he is our blessed hope, our eternal deliverer. Um, the parsley, um, traditionally it, it's hyssop. Um, God ordered the Israelites to paint the lamb blood on their doorposts, and they did this with hyssop. Hyssop was also used to deliver the sponge soaked with wine to Jesus' lips while he was on the, on the cross, and today we use parsley, um, which is part of the hyssop family. And then last, the last food symbolism is salt water, and the salt water represents the sweat and tears shed by the Israelites in Egypt. It also represents the mikvah or the spiritual baptism of the Israelites as they cross the Sea of Reeds or the Red Sea. It also represents the tears that Messiah shed over Jerusalem when Jesus and when he and when he came near he beheld the city and wept over it as Jesus wept over Jerusalem. And there's a wine during the during the festival, so it's a good holiday. You get to eat, you get to drink some wine. I gotta Yeah, I guess so. What do you what's your question? <laughs> Yes, yes. Steve asked if um, if unleavened bread was a was a part of this, and that's actually coming up on my next slide. So hang on just a second. Okay, so so the wine symbolism. There's four cups of wine that are consumed during the seder. Um, they're to represent that God listened, God remembered, God saw, and God cared. So He listened to His people, He remembered them, He saw their reflection, and He cared enough to bring them out of bondage. So the first cup that's drank during the meal is the cup of of sanctification. Um, When God heard the groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob, and God looked upon the children of Israel and he he had respect unto them. So God heard heard their, their groaning, he heard their prayers, and he acted upon that. The second cup is the cup of praise. And the second cup is to remind us of the ten plagues that fell on Egypt and the suffering of the Egyptians. And it's a reminder for us not to rejoice over the suffering of our enemies. The third cup is the cup of redemption, is drank after the meal. And this symbolizes, this to, to a Christian, to a Jew, this wouldn't symbolize this. But to me, this symbolizes um, the, the redemption of Jesus and... Um, the the Last Supper that we know from the Gospels. And I got Mark 14 here. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they drank of it. And he said unto them, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. See, when Jesus came into Jerusalem in Holy Week, he had his disciples find a place where they could observe the Passover. And it was quite possible that they were observing the Passover when we have the account of the Last Supper. And it was very possible that it was during the third cup, the cup of redemption, that Jesus said, I am your redemption, just as we would have been re- uh, redeemed from Egypt. And in the fourth cup is the cup of completion. Jesus said, it is finished. And I will take you to me to be a people. God says this in exit. 
and I will be your God. And then other Seder symbols, we have matzah, which is the unleavened bread. We have a pillow, have a cup and chair for the prophet Elijah, bowls of water, and candles. So matzah, Steve asked about the um, unleavened bread. Matzah is unleavened bread. And uh, just interesting symbolism here is one is placed on top of the other in a three-pocket napkin. And the middle matzah is broken and hidden. And the children will go and search for this matzah. And it's possible, you know, um, I think Jewish tradition, they don't necessarily have a reason that they do that. But it's possible that this represents Messiah's body being broken, buried, and resurrected. Uh, Matzah also symbolizes the haste in which the Hebrews fled Egypt. God commanded them not to wait for their dough to rise. It's going to happen quickly. Be prepared. So, too... We do not know the day of the retur- or the hour of the return of our Messiah, so we must be prepared. So I encourage you all today not to let your dough rise. Find Jesus. Be prepared. Um, the second one is the pillow, which is my favorite. Um, you, you lean on a pillow while you're eating. And the reason is um, because we eat comfortably. We rest because we're free people. You know, we're out of Egypt, and we've put our burdens on God. We've put our burdens on Jesus, and we can rest, and we can eat and drink and have fellowship um, without the stress and anxiety that that the world, that Egypt gives us. So, um, and Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus is our rest. He is our pillow at the table. Um, there's a cup, an empty cup, an empty chair for Elijah. We also leave the door open. For Elijah, because before the Messiah returns, Elijah is supposed to come. Before the Messiah came the first time, Elijah is supposed to come. So this represents us waiting for Elijah to to come and usher in uh, the return of the Messiah. Um, John the Baptist, although, although not physically Elijah the prophet, fulfilled this role when he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. So maybe we'll see Messiah before the second coming. I mean, Elijah before the second coming of the, of the Messiah. Um, also, you got the nice picture of a typical Seder table there. So we have bowls of water also for um, and napkins for drying. This is for washing your hands. And this is for the Jewish custom of washing the hands. And it symbolizes being clean before the Lord as outlined in Leviticus. And there's two candles that are um, lit to begin the Seder. And this is symbolic of the burnt offerings, which we don't do anymore, but the burnt offerings that were offered to God and commanded by God in Leviticus. And it's a reminder for us to keep the Sabbath and the holy days. And it's a reminder that we are to be a light to the world. And the candles at the Seder, I I think this is interesting, um, are lit by the eldest, eldest female of the Seder or the female host because it is women who bring light into the world because they have children and it was a woman who brought the light our messiah into the world and i find it's interesting because it runs contrary to our perceptions that the old testament is very patriarchal and, and anti-female yes We 
Okay, Eric's asking um, what um, what's with Elijah. He's got this empty chair. The door's open. We're waiting for him to come. There's uh, prophecies in the Bible that say Elijah will will return um, right before the Messiah comes. It, you know, um, Elijah was taken away in a whirlwind. Nobody knows where he go where he went. We assume he went to to heaven, but we don't really know. He's supposed to come back, and then the Messiah is supposed to be um, after him. Yes. That's, yeah, that's correct. That's good. I think it's good theology. Right. The Jewish people do not still sacrifice um, because they don't have the temple. The temple was destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans. So because there's no temple, they can't fulfill the command uh, to make the sacrifices. Yeah. What's that? So Charity saying that um, Jewish people today a lot of times will eat chicken instead of lamb because the lamb is supposed to be the sacrifice. So if they sacrifice the lamb and eat the lamb, then they're not really fulfilling um, the commandment the way that they're supposed to because they don't have the temple to sacrifice the lamb. So they don't eat the lamb to... Yeah, there there is a group, you, uh, the Temple Institute, you can Google them. And they are, they're ready to go. They're ready to build the temple and, and start making some sacrifices. So whether that'll happen or not, I, I don't know. And whether God wants that or not, I don't know either because there's, there's indications in some psalms and, and other parts that, that the sacrifice is not what he wanted. And our theology, of course, that Christ was that final sacrifice. Yes. Yes, it is. Yep, Ezekiel. Eric, you had a question. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. That's correct. They're not expecting. They're expecting the first Messiah to come. So we 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 believe that Jesus was the Messiah, and he will be back. He will come back. Um, the Jews uh, do. Most Jews do not accept that Jesus was the Messiah. And therefore, they're waiting for the Messiah to come. Um, it kind of reminds me, kind of reminds me of a joke. <laughs> I'm gonna take a minute to think about it. Um, I, I believe it was a Catholic, a priest, and a rabbi were talking, and and the priest says to the rabbi, he says, um, "Well, how are you gonna feel uh, when Judgment Day comes? Jesus comes back, you know. How are you gonna feel about that?" And, it, and you were wrong. It was Jesus. And the rabbi says, well, how are you going to feel when he comes back and he's Jewish? <laughs> All right. Okay. Any other questions on the symbols of the Seder? Because this almost wrapping up the symbols here. So, Steve. Well, a lot of this stuff in the Seder, this is tradition, you know. So um, God commands us um, in the Old Testament to observe 
Passover and to eat certain things. He, he doesn't command us necessarily to, to wash our hands and lean on a, on, a, on a pillow and those sorts of things. Some of these things, like the matzah, eating the unleavened bread is commanded, but, but some of these things aren't. They're, they're just tradition. In the, in the part where Jesus is talking about the, the washing of the hands, um, he's, what he's saying is that he doesn't have to do that. It's an unnecessary rule that the religious leaders have put in there. It's not a commandment from, from God. So, and then that's what, that's what he's trying to say is you're, he's saying that the religious leaders at the time are putting their church traditions and their way of doing things above what God said he wanted from his people. That's what I think. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. And, yeah, I, you know, I don't know. And I know with satyrs, some satyrs, everybody has their own cup of wine. And other satyrs, everybody partakes from one cup of wine. So, you know, I don't know if, if, you know, I don't even know if really in those days they had four cups of wine, if that was a tradition or not. Yeah. That's, that's good stuff. All right. Moving right along here. All right. There's four questions that are asked and the during the Seder. And the youngest person asks the questions, and the oldest person answers them. So I love this because this, this, this symbolizes a passing down of the story. And on a personal note, I like this because I remember as a, as a child asking about Christmas why we put up a Christmas tree and um, why there's we have Santa Claus and reindeer and all this stuff and what does this have to have to do with Jesus and, and no one had an answer. Well, Jewish tradition is kind of taking care of this. We're, we're going to uh, celebrate these holidays and we're going to tell our, our young people why we celebrate these holidays and what they mean and we're going to pass that down. So on a personal note, I really, I really like that. So the four questions is why is this night different from other nights? Um, why is it on all other nights during the year we eat bread or matzah, but on this night we eat only matzah? And why is it on all other nights we eat all kinds of vegetables, but on this night we eat bitter herbs? Because who wants to eat that? And why is it on other nights we either sit or, or let's see, we either sit or recline, but on this night, say on other nights we're sitting. So I think I got a typo here. But on this night we're reclining. Um, why do we do that? So I think I answered all those all those questions. Um, it's different because this is the night that um, God freed uh, um, the Hebrews from uh, from slavery, and we eat the matzah because it symbolizes us not wanting to or not letting our dough rise, but getting out of Egypt in haste. Um, it's also said that the yeast or the leaven in bread rep- represents sin. And um, the way the yeast takes over dough, so sin can overtake our lives. So we're getting that sin out of our lives. We're trying to, to, to purify ourselves. Um, and we eat the bitter herbs, of course, to 
remember what the bitterness is, what bitterness is like, the bitterness of being enslaved and the bitterness of being separated from God. And we're reclining because we're free people and we don't have to worry about being, being slaves. Okay, and I posted this on the Facebook page uh, today, how to host your own Seder. Um, it's about a five-minute video, five, six-minute video. So if you guys are interested in learning a little bit more, please watch the video. If you might be interested in hosting your own Seder, it's a good place to start. Okay. All right. So I'm going into the home stretch here. Um, Hebrews 10 um, talks about types and shadows. Um, of the Old Testament, that a lot of things in the Old Testament were um, types and shadows that come, you know, they were kind of repeated in the New Testament. Um, so I like to use the word foreshadowing. It's like the uh, there's things going on in the Old Testament that set patterns that are repeated in, in, uh, in the New Testament. And Passover is one of those things, a story of redemption um, and, and freedom from slavery is also the story of, the, of freedom and redemption that we, that we have in Jesus. So this is why I observe this holiday, uh, because God commanded it and Jesus observed it. And that's, that's basically, that's it for me. Um, these are two parts in the Old Testament where God commands it, Leviticus and Numbers. Um, in, in Leviticus, they said, These are the feasts of the Lord, um, even holy convocations, which ye shall proclaim in their season, in the 14th day of the first month, it is the Lord's Passover. And in Numbers, he says, let the children of Israel also keep the Passover at its appointed season. You know, the first, I remember the first time I ever heard of Passover, I was looking in a calendar trying to find when Easter was because Easter's always jumping around. And I saw Passover in there. And I remember asking an elder, a parent, or my grandparents or somebody, what's, what's this Passover? And they said, um, oh, it's a Jewish holiday. You don't have to worry about it. And I was like, phew, that's a relief. One last thing I have to worry about. But, you know, our Bibles say it is, it's a feast of the Lord, and it is his Passover. It is his, his holy day, not necessarily a Jewish holy day. Um, most gospel accounts of Jesus' teaching at the temple happened during Passover and um, other, other Hebrew holidays, biblical holidays. Um, but most importantly, his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, Hosanna, the palm branches here, the Last Supper, um, which was possibly a Passover Seder with Jesus and his disciples, his arrest, crucifixion, burial, and resurrection, all happened during this holiday of Passover. Okay. Jesus observed it. A couple of passages here in Luke where um, it came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare us the Passover that we may eat. They came to Jerusalem to, to celebrate Passover. They took the pilgrimage to Jerusalem for Passover. They're looking for a place to, to celebrate it. And he said to them, with desire, I've desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So one of the last things that he does on earth is to celebrate Passover with his, with his closest friends. And it obviously brought him great joy to do so. Um, do this in remembrance of me. We talked about the possibility that uh, what we know as communion was done during a Passover Seder. There is some controversy about that, some differing opinions, and I encourage everybody to look into that for themselves. Uh, I'm going to kind of go with the assumption that that, that, that uh, symbolism is shared, that the Seder and, and communion are um, kind of the same thing. 
So he took the bread, the unleavened bread, matzah, and he gave thanks, as they do in the Seder, and he broke it like they do with the middle matzah, that the, what the uh, Jews call the afikoman, which is hidden and that the children look for. So he broke the middle, the middle matzah, and he gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise, the cup after supper, possibly the third cup, the cup of redemption. He said, this is the cup of the New Testament in my blood, the Lamb's blood, which is shed for you. So, do what in remembrance of you? Um, and this is, these are questions I asked, and this is why I began observing Passover. Is, is Jesus commanding us to do communion? Or is he telling us to remember him when we celebrate Passover? Is communion a mini Passover? Is it a type and shadow of the Old Testament, the way that the Old Testament foreshadows the New Testament? Is this a New Testament thing that's kind of going back and, and paying homage to something that have, that is an Old Testament idea? Um, these aren't ans- questions I have answers to. They're questions I ask myself, which has caused me to to want to celebrate this holiday. And again, I encourage everybody to, to investigate this for yourselves. And now I want to talk about the mixed, the mixed multitude of people here. Um, we, we, we think of Passover as a Jewish holiday. Um, and I gave a, a dictionary.com definition of Passover at the beginning. And the word Hebrews was in there. I actually changed that. The uh, dictionary.com version literally is um, it's a celebration of the, the Jewish exodus uh, from Egypt. It was not a Jewish exodus. It was a Hebrew exodus. And the Jews are one tribe of the Hebrews. There's 12 tribes of, of uh, Hebrews. The Jews are one tribe of that. So there were 12 tribes that left and a mixed multitude of people that followed them. Um, and here it is in Exodus 12. And the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 on foot that were men besides children. And a mixed multitude went up um, also with them in flocks and herds and, and very much cattle. So who is the mixed multitude that fled with Egypt, the children of Israel? Well, there are other, there are other ethnic groups that were there in Egypt that saw the miraculous signs that, that God was doing, um, he's, that saw the, the plagues. They were people who most likely, um, who were not Hebrew, who painted blood on their doorposts because they had faith they saw what god could do and they knew what was coming and they said dear god is mighty and i want in i want passed over for judgment so who's that mixed multitude that left egypt it's us we're the mixed multitude right that's us so um a question uh, that i think comes up a lot when you talk about the passover story is you know why did god go to all this trouble why couldn't he just uh, snap his fingers and just teleport um, the Hebrews to, to Israel. Why did he have to do these plagues? Why did he have to harden Pharaoh's heart? Why did he have to kill the firstborn? And the reason is he, he did it for these people, in my opinion. Um, he did it for the mixed multitude. He did it for us. Um, so we're not Hebrews. We're not Egyptians. We're just bystanders who've seen God work in our lives and in the lives of others. We felt his mercy. We've seen his power, and we said we want in. And we're people who've cried out for salvation and are walking out of slavery. We're a free people, saved by the blood of the Passover lamb, saved by the blood of Jesus. So Passover is the story of redemption through Messiah. He's our lamb. 
He's the firstborn. He is the high priest. He's our redeemer. And like Moses, he's leading us, the mixed multitude, out of slavery and towards the promised land, towards the kingdom of God. So we have to put the blood of the lamb on our doorposts, so to speak. Uh, if we truly love the Messiah, if we really understand what he's done for us, what this sacrifice means, then there'll be a visible sign in us that's as visible as blood on doorposts. It'll be an unmistakable symbol. And we will be passed over for judgment. And we are forgiven. We're free from the slavery of sin. And we're a light and a hope to people still in slavery, still in bondage, in spiritual Egypt. And we're a light to help get them to join our mixed multitude and enter God's kingdom as free servants. So, shalom, y'all. That's, that's my... That's my stuff. Thanks. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to pray us out here, and then we'll we'll call this done. And I prepared a prayer because uh, I'm not good with spontaneity. So, so here we go. Father, sometimes you demonstrate your power through visible, miraculous signs like the ten plagues of Egypt. At other times, you're much more subtle, moving our hearts to seek you. Sometimes you have worked through events in our lives or you surprising people to accomplish your will. People like Moses, who was the last man anyone would expect to lead millions of people to freedom. But you chose him because it's in our weakness that your greatness is revealed. As stated in 2 Corinthians, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Sometimes, Father, you are a still, still quiet voice. Other times you're a force to be reckoned with. Yet your love, law, and promises are unchanging. We know we must trust we must trust you and live knowing that you will direct our lives if we will only submit to your will and let go of our own. It's often in hindsight that we see how you have worked in our lives. Just as it is in hindsight, we see your work through Passover and through the Exodus. Father, we are thankful that our lives are in your hands. And as the psalmist wrote, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eyes. Amen. Thanks. Thank you.